How are we doing? I'm going to read you a little story. Um, and we're going to talk about death and dying. Um, you know? Because, hey, it's... <laughs> That's right. It's, it's something that we have to talk about. I'm going to read to you this story from John 20, beginning at... Uh, verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've put him. And down at verse 11, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. And as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. And at this, she turned round and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turns towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father. And your father, to my God, and your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. One of the difficult things about talking about death, physical death, is talking about big ideas, ideas like the universe, the cosmos, and even sin. The difficult thing to understand about death, I think, is that I believe death to be an act of righteous judgment a judgment of love, even. How is this possible? How is this possible? I think in so many ways we can look at the person of Jesus, his ministry, his supernatural ministry, his death and resurrection and ascension, and we can extrapolate from the opposite of that where we might be without him if he had never come if he had never voluntarily gone to the cross if he had never died and never was resurrected where the cosmos might be in light of that 
And so it is in that place of hope that I encourage us to take an imaginary journey without hope, just to see for a minute maybe what this universe would be like without Jesus. In Genesis 3, God said to Adam and Eve, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. From Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned. To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. And so here we are, Confronted by the words of Scripture, knowing that we are up against something that is deadly, that is cosmic in proportion, and that we have absolutely no control over, and that it touches every part of creation from start to finish, including our lives. It is difficult to understand this cosmic force of sin. I believe the Apostle Paul helps us. And in Ephesians 6, he says, what does it look like? He says, well, our struggle ain't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. When we have talked about the armor of God, when we've talked about countering the attack of the enemy through prayer and the gospel in Jesus Christ. We are acknowledging in that battle that there is a force at work in this cosmos that we have no control over and that intends for us to die. And God passes judgment on sin. The result of that judgment is death. How does it work? Well, I think it works in a really simple way. It's a bit like uh, one of those old toys that we used to buy. For, if you grew up with, you know, in the, in the days before remote-controlled things, there were sometimes these robots and things you could almost you could plug into the wall. And it seems counterintuitive, doesn't it? Because they go a certain distance and then stop because either the cord would not let them go any further or they'd somehow unplug themselves from the wall. This unplugging from the wall, from the power source, is very much like what happens to people when they disconnect from God. It is not just that God... Uh, condemns this, not a condemnation, it's simply pulling the power plug of our life. When people turn away from God, it is like 
pulling that power cord on life. Turning away from God is, by necessity, death. Now, this is not to say that God ordains suffering in this world. Belinda gave a phenomenal preach this morning on this difficult topic and got some very difficult questions <laughs> right there in the preach from folks asking, oh, what about genocide? You know, what about, what about stories of, of killing in the Old Testament? I believe that God does not look on suffering and ordain that. I believe that God does not look on illness and disease and warfare and famine and ordain that as his will. I do not believe that. I say no to that in the name of Jesus. I do not believe that God wipes out young children or families. But I do believe in this cosmic force of sin and death of which Jesus has come to do almighty battle. Has he won this battle? Of course he has. But what happens to sin in the universe? We know from tragic examples like the Holocaust, really horrible things do happen in the world and they are unconnected from the sin that I do. I've got my own sin, sure enough. But in many ways, there's a cosmic level of sin that acts outside of us. War crimes, genocide, these things happen without our direct involvement. And if we only believe in personal sin, it's difficult for us to see what Paul is describing as cosmic sin. The very force from which God intends to rescue you and me. And it is really important, folks, to understand that sin and death work in this world in the way that they do in order for us to understand the kind of rescue that we desperately need and that is only possible in Jesus Christ. So sin comes into the world initially through the story of Adam and Eve, through the first sin. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, talks about this, how one man's transgressions then led the world. It kind of opened the door to sin and death. Didn't mean that God stopped loving us. Okay? God loves us in and through that. But it's a bit like, I'll give you two analogies. The first is contagion, like an epidemic. And I won't, <laughs> so we've just been through one, so I'm not going to go into too much detail. But I want you to imagine for a minute that my body is a host. And in, and in medical terms, my body can be a host for all kinds of diseases cancer, um, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, cold. We had a tummy bug in our household. There's a good example. Very quickly passes from one person to the next, causes you to feel just like death, right? Sin and evil work in this way in the world. They, sin and evil does not have personhood Personhood is reserved for the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And guess who else? You and me. The only persons in the created order are us, 
the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because that's a divine gift. Demons don't have personhood. They are what we call um, parasites. So how does a parasite work? Sin and evil only work by attaching themselves to somebody or something. And sin and evil have come into the world and attached themselves to our lives and the life of humanity and the created order. And Jesus, in his love, says this. I paraphrase. I'm standing by the cross for support here. (laughs) Jesus says this, and I paraphrase. I am without sin. That's what Jesus says. I'm without sin. But I voluntarily take this contagion on my body. And watch this. He says, I'm going to take this contagion on my body all the way to this cross. And I'm going to sacrifice myself. Because when I am resurrected, sin and death and evil stay crucified to this cross and they die. Sin and death and evil stay crucified on this cross and they die for eternity. Can I get an amen? I need you to hold on to that truth, okay? That's the life-giving truth of Jesus Christ. Sometimes we gloss over why this resurrection is important, why Jesus is, that's why, okay? That's for us, that's the lifeline to eternal life. God the Father observes that sin and evil come into the world through human nature. It infects the whole created order from start to finish. Jesus comes and he restores the created order, not just in his era. He does it for all of the past. For every human being that came before him. He does it for the present and he does it for the future. The cross stands above all. And the power of cross cannot be controverted. Because Jesus has killed cosmic sin and evil it still has an effect in our life one of the things that we have to come to terms with is that in order for the contagion of sin and evil to die in us we have to be crucified and resurrected there is a pain in that okay there is a pain in that And I'm not going to stand up here today and try and whitewash over the pain of the loved ones that we've lost, of our friends and family who've suffered with horrible diseases, of the suffering in the world. But I'm here to tell you that there is an eternal truth that cannot be overturned. And that that sin and evil, that death, will be no more. And that when we die, we don't go to be in some kind of spiritual place where our spirits float around. And I mean, that'd be amazing too, right? God promises more than that. He promises to remake physical creation without flaw to perfection 
And you need to know that your body will be recreated in perfection. Now, what are we going to look like? I don't know what we're going to look like. I, I'm assuming that I will be able to recognize you and you me. Beyond that, I'm not sure. But, you know, that has a couple of implications. Some of us need to understand that our bodies, we're, we're, stu- we're, hey, we're stuck with our bodies, okay? If you don't love your body, God does. He made it, all right? He's going to find that place in you to help you love yourself into eternity, all right? Um, the other thing is this. We need to understand that sin and evil is real in the world. But we need not cow down to it. Because the journey of the cross, it's not a magical kind of exemption. It's not a get out of jail free card where, where because Jesus died on the cross and was resurrected, we don't have to go through with, oh no. We are very much called into that. And we are called to die. And we are called to be resurrected. And that is, our te- that is our final testimony on this earth. Did you realize that? That is the act that speaks most, cl- most clearly and favorably and powerfully for our faith. Is that we go to death knowing that there is hope and truth and light beyond that boundary. Knowing that we go, yes, with fear, with trepidation, with worry, with suffering even. But that we go willingly to the other side. Unfortunately, there was no guarantee for the disciples that once they signed up to this way of living through the cross, there was no guarantee that they would be free of hardship or death. Eleven of the twelve disciples, history shows us, died tragic, violent, bloody deaths because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And the book of Acts tells us you are, prote- <laughs> you are protected through the cross simply so that you can share the story. That's why God sends his divine faith. He's not here to save us from suffering. I'm, I'm, sad, you know, I'm sorry, he's not here to kind of make our lives easier. In fact, in some ways, you could say it could be a lot more challenging. But we know the joy of the Lord, and we know that that makes up for a lot. The calling that we are called to is serious business. It is affirmation that death is no more by saying, come on, bring it on. Bring this thing called death because it has been defeated. And I need to let go. This body needs to go. It is infected with sin. And I need a new body that's going to last eternity. That's going to be accepted in heaven, in the throne room of my Father, the King, in heaven. And I will be welcomed into His presence because He is lovingly and graciously and self-sacrificially condemned sin in my body through death. I know this may sound countercultural because death is a horrible thing. Yes, it is. We are not saved from it. And we are not saved from hardship. 
the protection that we get through donning the armor of God, the protection that we get through allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through us in prayer and in testimony, the protection that we get is so that we can go out and talk about Jesus Christ. That's what all this is for. Now, don't get me wrong. This is lovely work, guys. <laughs> this is joy-filled work. I mean, we were out, Gray Station was out the other, uh, Rosie, where's Rosie? You, we were out there, and um, Leslie, we were there, and, and there was a car, that this Tesla came, came down. She didn't even stop. She kind of rolling stop, and she yelled out. She saw the sign, said Gray Station, you know, free prayer. And she just yelled out from the car, didn't even stop, yelled out, will you pray for me? I have had, people have been horrible to me all morning. That's it, that's all we got. And, and we prayed, we just prayed out loud, as loud as we could, across the street, because she, she was going, she was on the move. She had places to be. So we prayed loudly after the car as it disappeared down the road. Not 15 minutes later, she drives by again. She said, didn't get out, didn't stop. This lady is such in a hurry. <laughs> Shouts out of the car with her friend nodding vociferously. Your prayer worked. Everybody's been nice to me since I've seen you guys. <laughs> and you cannot not smile. Your heart cannot not be filled with joy when you go through with that. So this is my encouragement to you guys. Death is coming. Yeah, we know this. We are schooled in this. The principles of our gospel get us ready for this reality. We don't pin the blame of, of suffering on God. We know this is part of the created order. And we know that in His loving righteousness... He delivers us from evil. He delivers us. You know that word righteousness, dekaiosune, in the New Testament, is 50-50 translated righteousness or deliverance. It's the same thing. God's righteousness is deliverance. Because he just doesn't stand up here and go, yay, uh, I'm God, I'm righteous, I'm going to stand over here and I'm going to judge all y'all. He goes, No. I'm righteous, I'm God, I'm going to stand right here next to you. I'm going to deliver you from sin and evil. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. I'm not picking on you, Neil. I just... <laughs> right? Okay. Really important, guys. I'm going to wrap this up now. But on occasion, we have to deal with some sticky stuff. Right? The Bible, the Bible gives us these sticky things we got to wrestle with. What I'd like for you to take in your week is this. What is God telling me about my own death? What is God telling me about my own death? What is it I need to come to terms with in my life and in my death that he's asking me to deal with? Could be a heart thing, could be a head thing. As a follow-on, the question should be next. What now? am I going to live for for the rest of my days here on earth? That's it.
really clear. Not simple, but really clear. Amen? Amen.